Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yorika Talbo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or if you're just feeling stuck about what to do next, you've come to the right place. Every week, I sit down with a creative entrepreneur to discuss the who, what, and why of their journey. If you like this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Today, I'm sitting down with Sarah Long professional makeup artist turned history professor and host of the Makeup Historian podcast. Sarah, hello. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hello. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on today. Excellent. Well, thank <laughs> you so much for joining me. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. So how are things in your neck of the woods right now? Things are good. They're starting to get busy again. The semester just started for one of the schools that I teach at. So mm -hmm. um, kind of, you know, getting back into the rhythm of things. Summer was great. I definitely needed that break. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, things are just starting to pick up again. And I kind of like it, though. You know, I really love what I do. So the first week is always an adjustment. But then after that, it's full speed ahead. And, and I'm excited to get going again. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Wonderful. So actually, before we get, well, we'll get into that in a little bit. Let me skip ahead just for a second. Um, yeah. For my listeners who are less familiar with your work, how do you describe yourself and what you do? <laughs> it's interesting. Um, right now, I work as a history professor, but my nickname and kind of, uh, which is a riff off of my own journey is the makeup historian. So Basically, the nickname derived from my very random career transition from a professional makeup artist to a history professor. It's been an interesting journey, but as, as a result of that, I have now been able to kind of blend my two passions, and I study quite a bit of cosmetic history, mm -hmm. and I founded a, a podcast called The Makeup Historian, and I'm also working on building uh, the Museum of Cosmetic History. So at, what I do is, it's hard to answer that question because there's lots of different things going on, <laughs> but um, I, right now, the simplest way is uh, to explain it. I, I teach history, and mm -hmm. I pursue what makes me happy. Sure. That's wonderful. So let's I'd like to unpack that a little bit. So yeah. let's <laughs> let's start with the um, let's the the makeup side of it. So okay. what initially got you interested in being a makeup designer, and what was that like? My um, initial like attraction to makeup derived from my 18th birthday. Actually, I've always been artistic. I grew up painting and. Um, drawing, you know, and, and all sorts of different uh, mediums and things like that. And then for my 18th birthday, my um, parents and a few good friends of mine, they set up a private uh, makeup class at Matt Cosmetics. So I got to really, you know, experiment with makeup for the first time. And I absolutely fell in love with it because it was like a live canvas, you know, getting mm. to do someone's makeup. So it was a 
I think it makes a lot of sense, you know, that kind of transition from painting to makeup. But that was when I first fell in love with it. I took a private class at Mac Cosmetics and, you know, it's very cliche, but the rest was history. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's um, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so what was, so after that, that class, what was then your professional journey in the makeup industry like? I really did not waste any time actually, because uh, it was actually that very same day, that same class, I kind of um, bombarded my instructor. <laughs> you know, I was just so excited. And I asked her, I was like, how did you do this? How did you become a professional makeup artist? I really love this. This seems like so much fun. I want to get into it. Like, how do I do what you do? Mm -hmm. And she took out one of her business cards. She wrote down her number and then she wrote down the information of the school that she went to. And she was like, first things first, you have to go get um, professional training. And then when you're done, come back and find me and we'll mm -hmm. talk about the next steps for getting hired at Mac. So you know, and I think looking back on different chapters of my life, that's always been kind of a, a consistent thread. When I have found something that I'm really passionate about, I really just dive right into it. And I, I don't really look back. <laughs> so literally from the very first day I had a makeup class, I was like, how do I do this? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wonderful. So Let's then, then transition a little bit to the historian side of your journey. Where, where did that come from? That, there's kind of two parts to this uh, question. The, my love for history really derived from my dad. My dad mm -hmm. has always been a, a fan of history, studied it for you know, as long as he can remember. And when I was 14, my dad had the opportunity to go on a trip to China and he took me with him. So I got to you know, see so much more of the world that I had never seen before. And it really just confirms that love and passion for history. But I didn't think about pursuing history as a career until I got to college. And there's a little bit more to that story, but long, well, long story short, <laughs> I was so focused on being a makeup artist that I really had no intention of going to college at all. Okay. But when I told my mom this, she was kind of like, uh -huh, you're going to college. <laughs> 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 so we made a deal and I said, you know, if you help me pay for makeup school, I will get a bachelor's. Mm -hmm. So kind of the same way that I approached makeup, I was like, all right, I got to get this bachelor's degree. Let's get in, let's get out. What do I got to do? And the first semester, uh, what my elective was United States history. Mm -hmm. And I was just planning, you know, get in, get out, get the grade, move on. But my professor was amazing and kind of confirmed that love of history and made me think, hang on a minute, can I do this as a career? You know, like what does a career as a historian really look like? Mm -hmm. So those, those two um, moments in my life were very pivotal to me deciding to pursue history as a career. Hmm, okay. So I'm curious then about the time where they converged. So the, <laughs> what was it like when, you know, you were on this journey to be a makeup artist where you decided that you needed to change and that history was going to be that change? It wasn't until the very end of my bachelor's, the very 
because I was still for almost the entire time I was earning my bachelor's, I was still in the mindset of I'm going to be a professional makeup artist and I'm going to get a degree in history because my mom told me I had to get a bachelor's and history is what I'm passionate about from the academic standpoint. So I was, you know, just kind of going through the motions, but my game plan was still to be a makeup artist. And then the very last semester of my bachelor's, I took um, a modern European history class and my instructor told me that I should look into cosmetic history. And she was like, why don't you start with the history of red lipstick? That sounds really interesting. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I don't know. Um, Yeah, that'd be fun. Like try to combine these two things I love. And I basically started going down this rabbit hole and have never um, really come back from it. I'm still there (laughs) of studying different parts of cosmetic history, but it was kind of ironic because I was, you know, ready to graduate. And then I was like, wait a minute, there's so much more that I could study. And I didn't know that I could combine these two. Maybe I should go for my master's. And then when I was in graduate school, that was when I really started to uh, experiment with blending these two very random careers, you know, that don't at at first seem like they would blend together. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And, and so where, so, so now you're a full-time, are you a full-time professor? What's, what's your, your role and, and where, what have you been doing to get to that role for right now? Yeah, I, I still work as an adjunct instructor right now, which is a fancy way of saying that you have a part-time course load, but (laughs) I, you know, um, and that's, that's typical for when people start their career as a professor, it's very common to begin as an adjunct instructor. Mm -hmm. And and I think it makes a lot of sense. So usually you have a few years as, as an adjunct, and then you, whenever that full-time position opens up, you go for it with everything you have. But for me, I've been in the stage of this adjunct kind of hustle for a while now and COVID, um, you know, made that continue. (laughs) So unfortunately, because of uh, the pandemic, there have not been too many full-time openings right now for, for history professors, but I, I'm still very thankful and humbled that I get to do what I love. Mm-hmm. And I think it will happen. You know, I, I, I'm not worried about obtaining a full-time position because it's what I'm really passionate about. And I think my, the way I design my classes, um, the response from my students, I think I'll land that job soon enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, so since you brought it up, I'm, I'm curious how your profession has evolved, changed, um, you know, just been affected during COVID? And what, what was it like on the your side as the professor suddenly having to adapt to a brand new environment that's virtual? Mm-hmm. It was interesting, <laughs> to say <laughs> the least. <laughs> it, um, it, in the very beginning, it was incredibly difficult from an emotional standpoint because I really love what I do. And I missed getting to see my students because when the pandemic initially happened, it was right in the middle of the semester. So I already knew my students, you know, we had built up a rapport. Um, 
really just loved all of the classes I was teaching and then to just go to being in, you know, in lockdown and not getting to see anyone mm -hmm. for so long, it was just incredibly lonely. And I was very worried about my students because they were navigating unchartered uh, territory as well. Um, and then the following semester when everything was completely online, that I think was the most challenging and for me the most lonely but it was also in a weird way the most productive because it forced me to adapt and get stronger for my students and to not you know it's like okay the initial shock is gone now we we are still we still have a job to do we still have to be there for our students so i need to put aside anything that's bugging me and figure out how to get more tech savvy make my classes better make sure that my students can still communicate with me effectively and that everyone's still doing well. So in the beginning, it was really challenging and discouraging, but looking back on it now, I think it was kind of, um, I don't want to say like a blessing in disguise, but <laughs> like I always tell my students that if you can turn a negative into a positive, you will go really far. So I was thrown out of my comfort zone, but I thought it was really important for me to figure out how to adapt and get stronger to not only set an example, but to survive and in this career. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm, I'm curious then on, on, so what are you looking at in regards to this fall semester? So um, like have, have things officially been, been decided on whether or not it will be It'll be virtual or, or hybrid or in person. And how are you planning this fall and even in the spring based off of what, what's happened in the last year? Well, for the schools that I teach at right now and for my particular departments, we have decided to stay online again okay. for this uh, fall semester, which I understand, but from a personal standpoint, I was obviously very disappointed because I loved teaching in person mm -hmm. and it's, un, you know, we're doing what we have to do, but teaching online, it's just not the same. And although I'm very thankful for how my tech skills have evolved, um, I just was really hoping that we would be able to figure out a way to go back in person. It mm -hmm. didn't happen this semester, but I actually, in the in the middle of, or I'm sorry, the summer of 2020, I actually um, was accepted into a PhD program. So throughout this pandemic, I've been a, a teacher, but also a student. So I'm teaching online, but one of the classes I'm taking as a student, I will get to go back in person and that's mm -hmm. next week. So I'm really excited, I won't lie. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even mind the commute or yes. paying for parking i'm just like i'm ready to go back <laughs> <laughs> oh that's <Don't> wonderful <laughs> congratulations yeah. what um so what what is your phd going to be focused on it will be in history again but my emphasis has changed for my masters i focused in united states history and modern european history but for my phd i decided to have an emphasis in museum studies because about six months before the pandemic happened, mm -hmm. um, I 
began all of the, the paperwork to, to found the Museum of Cosmetic History. And then obviously everything just stopped when the pandemic happened. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, if I'm going to earn my PhD, I think it would also be wise to um, be in a program that gives me the tools to really help this museum not only get off the ground, but become something bigger than I could have ever imagined. So mm-hmm. there was the objective of getting my PhD, but I'm also there to find the people who can help me make this museum come to fruition. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but I it's been a lot of fun. I honestly really love it. It was a little tricky at first being a teacher and a student at the same time, but now it's just, I've, you know, I'm, I'm having fun. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. So tell me about your podcast, The Makeup Historian, and what initially made you want to start a podcast? I wanted to start a podcast because I love listening to oral history interviews and conducting oral history interviews. But the reason I gravitated towards the podcast instead of just keeping them for my own research was... um, I think it, there's so much easier to access. And mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest problems in academia is, is access to those, to those amazing resources. Not everyone can get them, so it becomes more difficult to do research. And I really wanted to uh, publish my, my research in an easy way that people could, could quickly access because I want to help inspire love and and respect for history it's so important and I think I've heard it so many times now people always say oh history is boring you know and I'm like (laughs) it's not though (laughs) so I was like if I maybe if I do a podcast I can you know help people look at history in a different way and help them realize that they are active participants in history as well and Mm -hmm. I think the podcast just allowed it to be more engaging and transparent and and I will say I think that's one of my biggest critiques about the field of history historians are not always really well known for being transparent about their Mm -hmm. research process they usually Mm -hmm. like for you to buy their book at the very end (laughs) you know (laughs) like when they're all done with all of the difficult gritty work and then they're like ta-da it's done (laughs) um, years later but to me I think it's so much more interesting to see how all of the like trials and struggles of a scholar. And then that way, when they do get that book, it's so much more rewarding and people have been there with you throughout the whole journey. They know. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was a fun, you know, a creative way to use a podcast for research and to show my students and other people what, what I was doing as a historian. So really trying to um, bring help bring history into the 21st century. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's great. So um, on that side, what types of topics do you cover? Is there, a, I mean, is there a particular focus of we only do this type of history or, or where is your, you know, your uh, range? Long story short, any topic goes. We, <laughs> we do not shy away from anything. So no okay. matter how controversial, um, you know, or uncomfortable, a topic may be, it's a history podcast, and we're going to be honest. So the tagline of our show is that we showcase 
honest discussions about the beauty and blemishes of our society. So kind of using cosmetic vernacular as the guide and inspiration, but it has evolved into not only being about research, but also kind of that beauty and blemishes mindset, um, interviewing people who have a perspective, a story that is at risk of being left out of the history mm. books. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how, what the show has evolved into now. And I'm very thankful for that because I get to meet so many amazing people from all walks of life and simultaneously get to preserve um, a very diverse group of, of perspectives. Mm -hmm. So it's been a, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I like how every season it kind of evolves a little bit more. Yeah. Well, that's great. I'm, I'm curious as a historian, where, where do you go for your information? So like, particularly in, in today's political climate, um, what are, what are areas that you read or sources that you look at to kind of see either connections to the past or just a, you know, a, not a less biased view of, of what's currently happening and, and how to kind of, you know, think about today's events in a, in a larger context? Well, in regards to finding a source that is not biased, um, I really think that's kind of impossible. <laughs> um, there's always going to be um, a, a little bit of a, of a bias, no matter what the source is, whether it's primary, secondary, and even the interviews that I conduct. You know, mm -hmm. I know and um, that historians in the future will look back on those interviews and acknowledge the bias that I had, whether it mm -hmm. was conscious or not, you know, that's expected and something that we, we know very well in history, but, and it's, it's really whenever we are introduced to a source, that's usually one of the first things we try to identify. What are any potential um, biases? What, what, you know, what are those? And once you move past that, then you get towards uh, trying to determine how credible a source is. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's difficult because in reality, there are an infinite amount of perspectives. Um, and that's one of the challenging things about history is we're trying to preserve all of those. But for me, when I conduct my research, I obviously start with academic databases. That's usually a good go-to for, for me. But then I also like to um, explore online, but then, you know, I try to always make sure the source is credible, as credible as possible. But in regards to really trying to figure out the real story, no matter what it was, kind of taking all of the professional or uh, trained tactics aside, the simplest way I can, in my experience, so I can, um, how I try to get to the truth is always follow the money. When you're studying history, follow the money that's usually what will give you the most <laughs> honest narrative, especially in regards to American history, because we have a capitalist infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So if you really want to understand who someone is or um, who is pushing a particular narrative, follow the money. <laughs> <laughs> that's the simplest way I can think to say that. And I know that's ironic. Every historian says that. I'm like, oh, this is the simple way. And then we talk for like 10 minutes. So 
I'm, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, that's quite, a, yeah that, that's quite all right. But that's that's very interesting. Okay, I'm so in your either your own life or even just how you work with your students. I am curious about how you approach the idea of fear, and so particularly with you know what's been going on with the pandemic and just everybody having to adapt simultaneously. Uh, or even in your own life and your own journey, how have you approached times when you felt fearful and how do you think about it and, and push past it? I think that's an amazing question. And my perspective on fear, the simplest or the way that I have learned to approach it throughout my life is I view fear as a tool. Um, instead of letting it dictate your life or paralyze you, I think you should let your fears wake you up and to help you become aware as to what the next move really should be. So let your fears, in a sense, kind of inspire you, let them wake you up and, and motivate you. And honestly, a, a lot of that mentality derives from, from my dad again, not only from his passion for, for history, but um, I come from a law enforcement family. So um, you, there's a book called The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker and when I was, I think I was in middle school, uh, which is kind of funny thinking about it now that I read it then, but my dad was like, this is one of those books that you have to read. Um, so he was telling me to read it more from like a, a self-defense mindset for, you know, raising daughters. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and to, but as I grew up, I never forgot that premise, like kind of the core of that book is that fear is a tool or mm -hmm. they, they phrase it as that fear is a gift. And then I kind of, my, you know, uh, spin on it is that it's a tool. So that mentality derived from my dad wanting to teach me about self-defense, <laughs> <laughs> but it has, stayed with me and remained relevant throughout every phase of my life. And it's something that I even tell my own students now, your, your fear is a tool. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and especially with history, I think one of the saddest, but also probably most profound takeaways from studying history is you realize how many people live in fear and they let their fear dictate their entire life. Mm -hmm. um, and when I do oral history interviews, one of the things I ask a lot of people is if they have any regrets. And I'd say probably 90% of the time, it was that they let their fears dictate their actions, that they didn't live a life that made them happy. Mm. So I, I always make it a point to tell my students that, you know, life is just way too short. Don't, don't let your fears paralyze you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So with everything that you have done and experienced, what would you say has been the best advice that you ever received? The best advice I ever received is that being ready is a myth. No one is ever ready <laughs> for whatever <laughs> that next step in life is. Even mm -hmm. if like, let's say you want to be, I'm not a parent yet, you know, but I've talked to my friends who are parents, um, when they were they were talking about wanting to start a family you can you can be prepared but you're never really quite ready for whatever for that next uh <laughs> chapter in life so mm -hmm. 
you just have to start even before you have all of the answers, just getting started on whatever that next big thing is in your life. That's more than half of the battle and remaining committed to whatever you are pursuing that will help you figure out the rest. You do not have to have everything figured out before you begin the next chapter or big project or whatever it is in your, in your life. Mm -hmm. So ready, being ready is a myth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I, I love it. I'm so it's, I want to kind of combine your last two comments about fear, not controlling your life. And then being ready is, is a myth. How, how do you find that, I guess, that kind of happy medium? Because I know there are some people who, let's say, when they see something fearful, they try to like over plan and try to like, you know, out, out plan what's going to happen in the future um, versus like you just kind of taking things that are coming at them. But how, how do you, I guess, strike a balance in your own life between that, your, your plan of, and, and, you know, trying to be ready, but also like not pushing our, pushing past the, the fear of, of the unknown? Mm -hmm. um, it's a mix of trusting my intuition, but I would say more so when I'm really trying to think about, should I make this move or should I pursue this project? Whatever the next big thing is, mm -hmm. the way that I put it, that I you know personally put it into perspective is I think about if I am lucky enough to have a really long life, you know, to where I'm gray and wrinkly. Uh, <laughs> when I look back on my life, will I be happy and proud of, of that decision? And if the answer is no, then I don't waste any more time thinking about it. The answer is yes, then I give it everything I have and I don't look back. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I put things into perspective. Yeah, yeah. well, that's, that's wonderful. So Sarah, thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to um, see more about what you're working on or, or listen to your podcast, where are the best places they can go to do all of that? The best place to go is my website, which is themakeuphistorian.com. It's uh, directly takes you to the podcast. So it's featuring all of my research. And then there, there's all of the links to my social media and my email. So if someone wanted to contact me, that's the best way to go about it. And, and the podcast is available not only on my website, but on all major podcast platforms. So yeah, and it's slowly making its way over to YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Excellent. I will, so I will, I will put all those links in the show notes so they can click right through. Uh, but again, thank you so much, Sarah. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Black Bones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yurikataldo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.